Good morning, everyone. This morning we are in Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when, they, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, this day that we dedicate to you like all the rest, but that we can have a heightened focus of who you are, how great you've been to us, how great you are to us today, and what you're going to do for us in the future. Father, your love moves in us, and we pray that that love can be transparent in and through us, that we may love others in this world. Father, we pray that this morning your Holy Spirit can permeate this place, can just pierce our hearts and our souls, that you can open us up to what it is that you want to reveal to us. You have such great truths, such great promises, Lord, that we want to cling to because your word guides us and leads us in every step of our lives and encourages us, Lord. And so this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit is strong, that we can walk out of this place changed, transformed, renewed in our minds to do great things for you and for your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Phoenix Bible Church. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. Really glad you're here. If you're new, this is your first time. Would love to meet you on the way out if I didn't meet you on the way in. If you are not new, welcome back. We are continuing in this devoted series. And before we get into that, I want to give you guys an update. And so if you were here with us the last two weeks of April... I think April 24th and April 17th, we uh, talked about our vision as a church and we talked about this idea of love moves and, and what that means for us and how we want God's love to move us forward as a new church. And so if you are new with us, we're about a year and a half in as a church and God's love is the reason why we're here. He has loved us. It moved us to start a church to see other people love Jesus and live like him and lead others to him. That's why we exist as a church and we want to see that grow. We want to see that expand to where it's not just a church that we get to experience in here, but that the world around us gets to experience it as well and experience the love of Jesus. And so we talked about that. We gave you some long-term vision. We gave you some short-term goals. Uh, they should be on the screen. We can show you what those are. Uh, we talked about three to six months. We want to increase our visibility to grow our gospel witness in Phoenix. And some examples of that, just signage on 7th Street. Uh, welcome centers and PBC Kids and in our main service to, to invite more families and more people into our church and let them know we are here. And so I want to give you guys an update on some of these goals and uh, the sign. If, if you haven't heard, well, we've been looking for a, a sign of some sort on 7th Street for a long time. Not like a billboard, uh, but just some sort of signage to let people know we are here. And so as a new church, we have an amazing location, amazing facility. You're sitting in it right now. We have stage, lighting. It's as, as, as close to a church as you can get. We have amazing location in the city um, on 7th Street. It's one of the most traffic streets in central Phoenix. Uh, there's the Children's Museum, Arizona Science Center, Chase Field, ASU downtown. It's all right on this street. And the problem with that is that no one knows we're here. Uh, because we set up and tear down, we meet in a school, obviously, as you can see. Uh, and so nobody knows we're here. And so we don't have much of a, a gospel witness in this area throughout the week. 
And that maybe even if you're new and you came to our church, uh, you came because somebody brought you, somebody told you about this place, or you went online and you were very aggressive and intense and you said, I'm going to Google a Bible-based church in central Phoenix and I'm going to show up there and I, and I really need to go to church. And maybe that's why you were here, but beyond that... Uh, we don't intersect with a lot of people in this area, and so we wanted to change that. So we began to look creatively for a sign. Uh, and so that meant for us talking to businesses down the street, asking them, explaining to them, like, hey, can we have a sign under your sign, and we'll just put an arrow on it, and somehow that'll be confusing, but at least it's something. And we began to start that process really about a year ago. And uh, just no luck. Uh, people looked at us funny. People said no. Um, and then God opened our eyes to this parking lot right at the corner. I don't know why we didn't see that first. But God opened our eyes to this parking lot, a fence. Hey, maybe we could put a sign on that fence. It could be up 24-7. And so we began to try to find out more about this parking lot and call and try to speak to the owner. And I think the parking lot may be under the witness protection program. Because we called, we researched online, you can't find this parking lot. And so if some of you park in this parking lot and you didn't tell me about it, we can talk later. But we couldn't find anything about this, so we, and by we I mean I, started to stalk the parking lot and the people that would park there. And as people would get out of their car, literally I would walk up to and ask them, like, hey, how did you get to park here? Who, who owns this parking lot? How much do you pay to park here? And they would, you know, some of them ran away. Um, but some of them talked to me and, and told me some information. And through all that research, we got the owner of the parking lot on the phone. And we started a negotiation process about a month ago to get a sign. And on Wednesday at 5.05 p.m., right before our prayer night that we did this week, to pray and ask God to do big things in and through us as a church, at 5.05 p.m., we got final approval on a sign at the corner of 7th Street and Fillmore. And so let's, let's celebrate that. Um, and, and just to be clear, it's not about marketing. It's not about well, we get more exposure so we can blow it up. No, it's not, it's not about any of those things. When we celebrate that, we're celebrating that that sign is going to be a tool. That sign is going to be an instrument in the hands of the Redeemer to save lives, to change lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we want to just find as many tools, as many instruments as possible. That's one, uh, so we can see more people love Jesus, live like him, and lead others to him. And so that is something to celebrate. We've made some progress on our goals already. Uh, so be looking for that sign. Don't vandalize it. And if you see somebody who does, tackle them. Kind of kidding, but just go ahead and do it. Um, don't tell them I said you could, but... Um, Six months to two years, we have more goals, like staffing, development. I'm the only uh, pastor on staff at our church, so we want to see that grow so we can care for and uh, more people and serve more people. In three to five years, as, as great as that sign is going to be, we still want a 24-7 space. And so all of what you see here, all of what you saw in kids' ministry has been set up, and, and it's going to be torn down. And so we don't want to do that forever. Amen? Yeah, we don't want to do that forever. We want a place that we can call home uh, one of these days. And so Central Phoenix, that might get a little bit tricky um, as far as property down here being, being more expensive and things like that. And so we, we want to get creative with it. So things like a multi-purpose facility, uh, things like a compassion center. We could serve people in tangible ways but also meet there and do office space and trainings and things like that. Or that God might just make it easy and gift us a church building. So however God wants to do it, we'll leave it in his hands, uh, but we're looking in the next few years, so we want to put back money for that. We want to keep an eye out for places like that. It's not going to happen today, uh, but just in the future, in the next three to five years, we want to head in that direction. So that's a recap of Love Moves. We gave you some financials with that several weeks ago as well. Uh, Scott McGee, who actually was just up here, who did the welcome, he gave you, like, here's where we are as a church, here's where we want to go. And just so you know, if, if you're new or even if you've been coming here a while and you're like, how does our finances work? We have an accountant who we pay, who does our weekly and does our monthly books as a church. We take this really seriously, so we wanted to pay an accountant to do this for us, to make sure it's done well. And then beyond that, we have two people, Scott's one of them, in our church who help oversee that and who help work along Side her. It's a really big deal. It's really important to us that we steward God's resources well. And so we shared with you a goal of we wanted to go from 13500 a month, which is our current budget, to 16300 a month 
Uh, so it would allow us to do some of the things we just described, some of these short-term goals. And I want to share with you that we made progress. So uh, in April, so just two weeks of doing that towards the end of April and explaining this to you, um, our giving grew to $14,000. And so we're not there to the 16-3 yet, uh, but we're making progress, and we just started this. And so if you have started giving, uh, thank you. Uh, if you have given more generously, thank you. That's a really big deal. Uh, and we don't take that lightly. And so thank you for partnering with us in the mission of God here in Central Phoenix. We appreciate you doing that. And if you haven't participated in that, I would encourage you to do that, especially before the summer. And so just the timeline of our year, we're about to hit Memorial Day weekend, May 29th. And then we hit the, the dead heat of summer in Phoenix. And you all go to Flagstaff every weekend. And so, and that's great. I'm going to go to Flagstaff, and I'm going to go on vacation too, and I hope you enjoy vacation with your family. We're all going to do that, but just don't forget about what God's doing here. Uh, and the way to do that is just to set up recurring giving. You can do that with your bank through bill pay. You can do that on our website so that it's just there and you know it's there. And so if you think about a spectrum, we said this a couple of weeks ago, uh, if you have a spectrum of giving, you have not giving over here, you have um, occasional giving, you have percentage giving, and then you have generous giving we would just ask that you take one step along that spectrum before we hit the summer months so that we can plan. A summer is a big time where we plan out the fall and the spring and what we hope and dream God will do. And we hope God does a lot through this church, not just in this next season, but in the years to come. And so we're planning right now to go to Ecuador um, to help with a church planning effort there, to help specifically as they just had an earthquake not too long ago. And so there's a great need there. We're, we're planning to, to go and do that to help, to expand our reach for the kingdom of God. But we got to take, take care of business here first. And so we, we have plans of we want to plant a church one day, maybe PBC Espanol in our backyard. And we have all these plans and dreams and visions. But in order to accomplish that, we got to take care of business here. And so I'm in the process of raising funds outside. I'm asking you guys to partner with us inside because we want to see all of these things happen. And we can do this. We can do this together and see PBC not just impact us, but impact the world around us. And so um, that's just a little update on some of those things. If you are new with us or you're not a Christian, and maybe you're thinking, like, of course. Of course I picked this Sunday to come. We're talking about money. Like all the church does is talk about money. They just want my money. Well, just so you know, we, we don't always talk about money. Um, but we are talking about it today because we do want to be good stewards of God's resources. But the second reason, and the, really the primary reason we talk about finances, is because it's a response to the gospel. That if you're not a Christian, you don't know that, that God came to us. That God gave first. And so as a response to that, we give back to him. And, it, and specifically with our treasure, we do it with our time and our talent. We do it with our, our treasure, that Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart is. That our finances reflect our heart. They reflect what we worship. So in all of life, we give back to Jesus because he gave us everything, but specifically in our finances because it reflects our heart. And so if you're new, listen, we don't want your money. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And out of that comes our time, talent, and treasure as a response to the gospel. And so that's why we talk about this, and uh, we want to give you guys an update on all of that. So as we get into the sermon today, we're continuing in this devoted series. We're talking about devoted to serve. And all of this is set up around the framework of the book of Acts and the early church. And so Acts 1 and 2, you see Jesus rise. He goes up into heaven. He ascends into heaven with the Father. And the very first thing his followers do is they go into the upper room and it says they devoted themselves. Acts 2, you see Peter preach and 3,000 people are added to their number. And the very first thing they do, Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves. And they devoted themselves to things like prayer, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to uh, sharing with everyone who had need. And, and you see this serving, you see this learning, prayer, worship, mission take place in the early church. And then you see in the rest of the book of Acts, you see this multiplication happen. You see churches that are started. You see lives that are changed. You see that replicate itself out to you and I today over the course of history. That it all started with a group of people who said, we are going to devote ourselves to God. And through that, God moved in extreme ways. And through us, God wants to move in extreme ways through our devotion 
to him. And so today we're talking about what that looks like in our service. And serving, if you think about it, is a lot like going to the gym. It's a lot like going to the gym. Like nobody wants to to just go out and serve. Nobody's super excited to go out and serve. But after you do it, there's joy, right? After you go work out at the gym, you're like, I should do this every day. But before, you're not so excited, but some people are, aren't they? I mean, if you go to the gym, you see some of those people who walk in, they got a big smile on their face, they got their iPod ready. I mean, this is like the best part of their day, and you think, like, what's wrong with you? Why would you be so excited about working out at the gym? Some of you are these people, right? CrossFit, I I see you guys. You get really excited about working out, and, and you see those kind of people, and you ask what's wrong with them, but listen... Here's what's happening with that person. They've just done it before. This is your first time to come to the gym, but they've been coming all week. They've been coming for the last month. And so they know, they've gotten over that, like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Why am I here? Why am I here? Maybe this is just me. Why am I here? And then they work out and they say, oh, that's, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. This is why I'm doing this. And so they know that there's going to be progress after the pain. And it's the same way with serving. Many of you have experienced this in your life. Maybe there's been opportunities to serve, and you said, like, hey, I don't know if I have time to do this. Like, the kids, I don't know if I can take my kids to do this. I don't know if I can sign up to serve in the church. Like, I don't know if I really want to do that. And you feel that tug. Have you felt that before? That wrestle of, like, should I serve? Should I not? Should I stop at the corner? Should I talk to this guy? Should I give him things? Like, what is he going to do with them? Will I be enabling? And you've, you've all wrestled with all those things. And when you do it... You never say, like, I wish I hadn't done that. No, because you experience joy after the fact. And so what you see is that just like everything else in life, that serving is built over time. That God shapes a servant heart within us. We don't naturally have a posture of serving, but God shapes that within us and through us, through our devotion to him. And what we're going to find out today in Mark 10 is that this is the posture of the whole kingdom of God. This is the way Jesus set it up. He modeled it, and he puts it in place for us to follow. So Mark 10, 35 through 45, Julian read it earlier. To give you some context of where we are in the book of Mark, Mark 9 and 10, Jesus begins to explain that while he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he's the one they were waiting on, he is the coming king that he's going to have to suffer. And the disciples haven't grasped that yet. They're still unsure of what what does that mean? So you're going to be a king, but you're going to suffer. You're going to lead, but you're going to serve. And they don't really understand what that means. And right before this passage today, Jesus explains again what's ahead for him. He says, we're going to Jerusalem. I'll be delivered into their hands. I'm going to be mocked and killed. But three days later, I will rise. And you just have to imagine what that would have been like for the disciples. The disciples and Jews at this time would have thought that the coming king, the Messiah, the anointed one that would come that he would set up a political rule, that he would banish Rome and destroy Rome, and he would set up a, a new rule, and they would get to thrive under this new gracious leadership of this new king that has come. And so as Jesus talks about suffering, as Jesus talks about dying, that would have been incomprehensible for the disciples. They would have been thinking, no, Jesus, that's not the way it's supposed to go down. That's not the kingdom you're supposed to build. How are you going to build a kingdom as you suffer? How are you going to lead as you serve? And so as they hear this, you would think potentially there would be some deep reflection. As as they hear this, you would think maybe they would ask some questions. So like, Jesus, what's that going to look like? How how are you going to die? Why are you going to die? I, I thought it was supposed to be a totally different way. What's going on here? You said you would rise. Is that going to be a physical resurrection? Or is that more of a spiritual resurrection? You would think there would be some reflection here, but there's not. Instead, their response is one of spoiled children. And they go to Jesus and they say this. They say, teacher, will you do whatever we say? But they don't tell him what it is. They just ask him to promise it first. This would be like when your kids come to you and they say, mommy, daddy, like I got to ask you a question. But before I ask it, you got to say yes first. And you're like, no, that's not the way it works, right? 
And they said, no, I'm going to ask you a question, but you got to promise to say yes first. And you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I don't know what you're going to ask, like to take the house. I, I, I don't know what you're asking. Like, I'm not going to do that. So that, that's essentially what the disciples do. They say, teacher, will you do whatever we say and whatever we ask? And just so you know, by the way, if you aren't a Christian or if this is new to you, the whole church thing, this should encourage you about the Bible. This should encourage you about the authentic, authenticity of Scripture. That some people will say that people went back and wrote all this stuff and made up all this stuff to deify Jesus, to make him look like he was God, but he really wasn't. And so they went back and they doctored the notes and they, they put out the Bible to, to, um, to convince everyone. That's the word. So some people will say that. Have you heard that argument before? But what you see in texts like these is that's impossible because no founding fathers of a religion would make themselves look this foolish. Do you see that? I mean, if you were going to go back and write the story of your life and, and to try to make Jesus look like king and look like God, you wouldn't put these lines in there of after Jesus is saying he's going to suffer and die, you wouldn't go back and say, well, then we're going to be like spoiled kids and ask him if he will do whatever we want him to do. You wouldn't do that. And so this should give you encouragement that the Bible is true. The Bible is real. It's not a concocted story to make the disciples look awesome because they don't or to make Jesus look like God. He is. So this is an actual account of what happens. Hopefully that encourages you. And then we get back to the story. Jesus responds graciously to the disciples in verse 36. He says this. He says, what do you want me to do? And so just like Jesus does today when we're selfish, when we're self-absorbed, Jesus is gracious, he's patient with us, he's that way with the disciples. He says, what do you want me to do? And in verse 37, they ask, who will sit at your right hand and your left hand in glory? And so they glaze over all the suffering, all the death, and they move right to the glory, which incidentally, that happens a lot today, right? It's called prosperity theology. That some churches, maybe you've seen them on TV, or maybe you've been to one, or maybe you've heard people talk like this. Like, it's all about the glory. It's all about the blessing. You don't suffer as long as you have faith in Jesus. And they kind of do that. We glaze over the suffering because that's uncomfortable. It's hard, and we move right to the glory, and this is what the disciples are doing. And before we're hard on the disciples, we do that. We're self-absorbed at times, Right? I read an article this week that people spend about 60% of their conversations talking about themselves. And that that figure jumps to 80% when communicating via social media. I know that shocks many of you. We talk about ourselves, right? We're self-absorbed. Jim Gaffigan, the great theologian of our day, in one of his stand-up bits, he talked about people's obsession with self. He was talking about how people work out in front of a mirror and why anyone would want to do that. And here's what he says. He says, I want to look at myself while I work on myself. I should do a recording so I can listen to myself while I look at myself, while I work on myself. As I leaf through myself magazine and read how myself can improve myself. Maybe I'll go to my Facebook page and look at photos of myself and read what myself has written about myself. <laughs> And that's an exaggeration, obviously, but many of us know that to be true in our lives, that we can be consumed with ourselves, that our culture is one that is consumed with ourselves. The disciples in this moment, that's what they're experiencing. They're consumed with themselves, like, okay, suffering, yeah, blah, blah, blah. What about the glory? Who gets to sit at your right? Who gets to sit at your left? How's that going to work? How's that going to play out? And Jesus responds, Graciously, and then in verse 38, look at that verse. He gives them a reality check. He says this. He says, you do not know what you are asking. I love that. He's like, you don't even know what's going on here. You're, you're misunderstanding the whole thing. Like, you want to be part of what I'm going to experience? Did you listen to what I said? We are literally on the road to Jerusalem where I'm going to die on a cross. That's going to happen. I just told you that, and you're like, hey, can we participate in that? Can we experience that? And Jesus graciously says, you don't even know what you're asking. And he says, the cup that I'm going to have to drink, are you going to be able to drink that cup? This cup, this is a reference to the Old Testament and really anywhere in Scripture 
where it talks about the wrath of God being poured out on sin. And so if you're new or you're a new Christian or you don't know Jesus, that all of us have sinned and that God is holy and perfect. And because God is holy and perfect, our sin deserves condemnation. It deserves wrath. It deserves death. And so when you see that word cup, it's an analogy of a cup of God's wrath being poured out on sin. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to take all of that on the cross. And you're coming with me, but you can't experience that. And you don't want to experience that. That's for me and me only. And in verse 39, the disciples, how do they respond? They say, we are able. They're like, Jesus, we got this. Yeah, I get what you're saying. We got this. And they're probably thinking, like, there's going to be a lot of responsibility when it comes to ruling the universe. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, sign me up. We got this. They're probably thinking maybe they would have to fight to defend Jesus as he's going to take this cup, as he's going to suffer, that they would have to stand as brothers in arms and they would have to fight to defend Jesus. And they're saying, Jesus, we are, we're, we're able. We're with you. And Jesus goes on to explain it further so that they can get this and grasp this. He says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And and he's not saying that they're going to suffer for the sin of mankind on the cross, right? He's not saying that, but he's he's saying they are going to suffer as he has suffered. That they're going to suffer, and they they do. If you know the story of most of the followers of Jesus, the disciples, most of them go on to die a martyr's death. If not, they risk their life for Jesus and the furtherance of the gospel. And so most of them go on to experience suffering. And Jesus is saying, you're going to experience this. It's going to happen. That Jesus, if we look at the cross, he, he suffered. He's king. He's Lord. But he suffered. He's our leader, but he was also our servant. He suffered. That he suffered to buy us out of sin. And the disciples and you and I, we suffer to get that message out. Do you see that? So there is glory. Jesus is glorified. One day we will be risen with Christ and we'll experience and we'll see his glory. But you can't glaze over that or you can't glaze over the suffering and skip to the glory. That's not how it works. That in the paradigm of Jesus' kingdom and the economy of God, that there is suffering. That you and I partake in that just as Jesus did. Verse 41, look at that verse. How do the other disciples respond? They are indignant. They're mad. They're mad because they didn't think of this first, right? Like, no, I want to sit at Jesus' right hand. How come you guys are getting to ask that question first? Like, I don't want to miss out on that. And they become frustrated because they wanted that as well. In verse 42, Jesus calls a huddle. He says, hey, we got to figure this thing out. we got to get on the same page here. He says, this is what the Gentiles do. You know this. Like, this is what the Gentiles do. This is what you experience. So Jewish people at the time were under these Gentile rulers who didn't treat them well. We've talked about it in sermons. You've read it in the Bible. You have emperors. You have tax collectors who use people to get more for themselves. And Jesus is telling his Jewish disciples, like, you guys know what this is like. We don't have power to lord over people. We have power to serve people. That this is going to be a new kingdom. You've seen the existing kingdom. And it doesn't work. There's oppression. There's devastation. You're experiencing that. And so Jesus begins to reference that to explain to them, you know what this is like. And if you really thought about it, you wouldn't want what you're asking. That we need a new paradigm. That we need a new kingdom. And he begins to explain that. I think of uh, India and the Taj Mahal. I don't know if you've ever been to India, but my wife and I went our second year of marriage, and we went to the Taj Mahal. We were so excited to go there because I think it was, uh, at the time, one of the seven wonders of the world that may still be. It's this beautiful structure. It's all marble. It's an amazing structure. You walk up to it. It's gigantic, and it's literally all marble. As you walk up to it for a long way, there's marble. It's all marble. It's this gigantic, amazing structure. But to get there, you have to park really far away, and you have to either walk or ride up to the Taj Mahal. 
And so as we do that, as we get there, we're really excited. We see the structure from afar. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. And we get there and we start to walk this long trek to the Taj Mahal. And as we walk, you see some of the worst devastation that you see in all of India. You see some of the worst impoverished areas that you see in all of the country right next to this glorious, wealthy, amazing structure that was built for a king. And you begin to realize something that we see in Jesus' day, we see in our day, that there's a disparity between the palace and poverty. There's a disparity that the people who were ruling in that day were using the people under them to get more for themselves. They weren't sending it out. They weren't empowering others. They weren't helping others. They were using it to get more for themselves. You see it at the Taj Mahal. You see it in their day that people were hoarding power, hoarding wealth for themselves and using people to get more of it for themselves. That there's a disparity in this kind of rule. That if we only seek power, if we only seek glory, and no one seeks to serve, that there's a disparity, there's a discontinuity, that some people suffer, that there's oppression, there's devastation if leaders won't serve. And Jesus is making that point to them. And then he goes on to redefine what leadership, what greatness should look like in his kingdom. Verse 33, or verse 43 and 44, he says this, that if you're going to be great, you actually need to be a servant. If you're going to be first, then you need to be a slave. Do you see what Jesus is doing with the disciples? He's changing their whole outlook. For you and I, he's changing our whole outlook. Maybe you struggle with this. Maybe you desire more glory, more power in your position at work, in our church. Maybe you're thinking like, man, all I do is serve. Like, when am I going to get the glory? When am I going to get the power in your family? We just celebrated Mother's Day. Maybe sometimes, moms, you struggle with this. Man, all I do is serve these kids. Like, when am I going to get that power, the notoriety, the glory? And Jesus is saying, you already have it. You already have it. Then in his kingdom, in his church, the way it's going to work out is if you're going to be great, then you serve. If you're going to be first, then you're a slave. And so the people that are are last, the people that are serving, those are the people with the power and the glory in the kingdom of God. Do you see that? He's changing our paradigm, and it's one of, of serving. It's one of serving. That Jesus is saying people will be given power, but it is a power to serve. And he doesn't just teach this. This is what's amazing about Jesus. He doesn't just teach this. He doesn't just from a lofty place in the sky in heaven. He doesn't just say, like, you all should do that as my servants. No, what does Jesus do? He comes down. Philippians 2 says he empties himself. He doesn't have to, but he freely gives his life in service, ultimately to the point of laying down his life for you and I on the cross. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, models this perfectly. And then he sends us out to do the same. And we see it in the Gospel of Mark, verse 45. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, Lord of all, that in the beginning Jesus was there, that he was the first, that he created everything. And he says, even me, I'm going to come, I'm going to serve, that I'm going to lead the way in serving, that I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to give my life so that you will know this is the new paradigm. This isn't just something he's saying, this is something he's living. Do you see that? He lived this way so you and I could live this way, to bless others, to serve others. And many of us, I I think, as you listen to this and as you've heard this sermon before and you've heard this idea before, like I said, even if you're not a Christian, you think, oh, it's good to serve. I know I'm supposed to do that. It's good to do good for other people. Many of you have heard that. This isn't anything new. Many of you are hearing that today and you think, I know I need to do that. Why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't we step out and serve? I think for most of us, it's an issue of trust. It's an issue of trust. 
That once you hear something like this, you see how Jesus models it. You see how this is the paradigm in the kingdom of God and in the church. And you, you see that clearly explained, just like the disciples saw that clearly explained. Then why don't we step out and do it? Why do we wrestle so much with it? Why do we say, well, I got the kids and I got the schedule and I got all these things and I, my money's tight. How am I going to give that away? Why, why is that such a wrestle for us? I think it's an issue of trust. That at the end of the day, we wonder, like, did God, is God really who he says he is? Is God a generous, giving God? Did Jesus really give his life away for the joy set before him? Is that really the paradigm, God? Is that really the economy that you want me to operate in? Is that really where I'm going to find joy and blessing? And we wonder, like, is there going to be joy there? Is God good? Is he who he says he is? is he, did he do what he said he was going to do? And we're not sure. We think, if I serve, I'm going to get taken advantage of. If I serve, I'm not going to get joy. If I serve, I'm going to be passed over for that promotion. And we wonder, can we really trust God? And so God, in his grace, comes to us just like he does with the disciples. And he articulates this, he lives this out, and he explains to us, you will. You can trust me. You can trust who I am, you can trust what I've done, and you will get joy in this. And that's why we experience that, is because God has wired us for that. And so I experienced this in my life. As a pastor, as someone who is called to serve, I experienced this. There's times when I'm serving and sacrificing and doing different things and living this life. This is my life. It's not just a job. As I'm living this life, there are times where I wonder, there are moments where I wonder, is it really making a difference? Like, is it all worth it? Is it really making a difference in the lives of people, in the lives of our city, in the lives of this world? Is it really making a difference? There are times where I wonder, would it be better to work at Home Depot? Like, would that be so bad? And, and I drive by Home Depot, and sometimes I think about that. But, but God, graciously, he pulls me close, and he reminds me of what he reminds the disciples, that Jesus, that he came to serve, to empower you to serve, and that there is joy, that you can trust him. And every time that happens, God begins to enable me to trust him. We sang that song earlier, I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. Give me faith. That, that that's what I do, that in those moments of doubt, like, can we trust you? Is it worth it? Is it making a difference? All of this service, is it really doing that? And God graciously says, yes, that in my moment of weakness, he brings his spirit within me to make me strong, to see accurately what he sees, and to, to continue to serve. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced God's graciousness to you to show you he is who he says he is? He did what he said he was going to do. You can trust him. You can step out and serve. And as you begin to trust him, here's what happens. He transforms you. And we see that with the disciples. What's amazing about Mark 10 is this is not the end. This isn't the end of the story. So Peter, James, and John... This embarrassment that we talked about at the end, that this is written for all of us to read. This isn't the end of the story. We go on to read 1 John 3.16, written by the same guy, John, who is in this story, who after Jesus explains suffering and death, asks, who's going to get to sit at your right and your left in glory? The same guy who does that says this in 1 John 3.16, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Same guy. What happens? What happens between Mark 10 and 1 John 3.16? What happens is in his moments of doubt, God comes close and God is gracious that the spirit of God indwells John, it conforms him, it transforms him as he trusts that God is who he says he is, he did what he said he was going to do, and John changes his perspective. And not only does he change his perspective, he begins to call others to do the same. That this is what Jesus did and this is what we should do. 
And so you should be encouraged by that. Maybe right now you're in the midst of a busy schedule, a busy season. Maybe you're tired and just burned out. And you're thinking, of course, serving Tim? Like, man, I just have, my schedule's already packed as it is. I'm thinking I need to take stuff off my plate. You want more from me? Like, this is all I ever hear is more, more, more. And maybe that's you. And maybe you're tired if you're honest. And maybe you're frustrated if you're honest. Maybe you're doubting that God is really who he says he is and that this is how it's supposed to work, that serving does lead to joy and blessing. If that's you, you need to be encouraged by John's story, by John's testimony, that God won't leave you there, that he will enable you by his grace and by his spirit to trust him, and that as you do that, he will transform you to serve. That none of us are ready-made servants, that he builds it through a devotion to him. And so what do we need to do? We need to take a step. We need to take a step of trust, of faith, and ask God to show us this is his design, and we need to start somewhere. We need to start serving. And so here are some ways we can do that, just practically as a church. Uh, you should have gotten, when you walked in, a sign-up to serve handout. Uh, hopefully all of you got those. If not, there's going to be more back at the Connect desk. We have, just for us as a church, opportunities to serve within our church and without. And so if you look at that sheet, I want you to, at some point today, you would spend a moment and you would consider checking one of those boxes to see how can I step out to serve. That you wouldn't think about all the excuses not to, that you would just trust God, you would step out and serve. And that you would take that opportunity today. Here's some ways we can do that. We have some pics we're going to show on the screen for you of what this looks like. That every Sunday you got people greeting people as they come in, that they're serving. And they're not just saying, like, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? No, they have a heart for the new people that come to our church. They have a heart to serve them and to point them to Jesus, to have a welcoming environment as they walk in the door. And so there's an opportunity to serve. There's an opportunity to serve as we set up every Sunday morning. So you see these guys putting the tarps out over the seats. There's tons of stuff that comes together to make this happen. And these guys, I would bet, if we were to ask them, they wouldn't say that their spiritual gift is putting over uh, tarps over seats, right? I don't think they would say that. Uh, but they do it because they have a heart for people to hear about Jesus, to sing to Jesus, to pray to Jesus. And because they're setting all these things up, that frees us up to do that. And they're serving in that way. We have another opportunity to serve in, in production. You see people winding up cables. We talk about a lot in our church that everything matters. And so what I'm doing right here, it definitely matters. What the guys just did in leading us in song, that all matters. But so does sharing the gospel with your neighbor during the week. And so does plugging in a cable on a Sunday morning because it all furthers the mission of Jesus. And so there's opportunities to serve in production in that way as well. We'll keep going to the next one. Counting. We talked about our finances earlier. Every Sunday, there's people that go back there. They lock the door, so don't try to go in there for security. And they count our, our money so that we can be good stewards of God's resources, and they serve the church. You can go to the next one. There's opportunities to play in the band. It's our drummer right there, Poppy. There's opportunities to play in the band, to lead us into worship. So some of you guys, God's gifted you musically. Some of you guys that we haven't found yet play the violin and come talk to us afterwards. We really want a violinist. Some of you guys, God's gifted you in certain ways and, and you can serve in this way. Go to the next slide. Some of you guys can hold babies and serve in that way. So every Sunday, just across the courtyard, if you've never been over there, we have kids who are doing exactly what we're doing in here on their level. They're talking about Jesus. They're worshiping Jesus. They're learning about Jesus. And we have some babies, that's actually mine, who just get held. And listen, just let's just take a second, pause. Who wouldn't want to hold that baby? I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, it's my baby, so don't say no, because that might get weird. But uh, who wouldn't want to hold some babies? Listen, just pull back the curtain a little bit. We pay nannies. We pay a nanny service to hold our babies every Sunday. I just talked to our kids' ministry director, and she said it's about $200 a Sunday. Play that out over a month. It's about 800 bucks a month to hold babies. To hold this baby. Who wouldn't want to do that for free? And so we've gone to one Sunday a month because we had some people who graciously said, I want to serve. 
And they begin to hold those babies. And so one Sunday a month, we don't pay the nannies, and we have them hold the babies. And it frees us up money to do other things in ministry. And so, listen, on your sheet of paper, one of the boxes to check is hold babies. And so what if, I'm just saying, what if five to ten people said, hey, I can hold a baby. And I'm going to sign that box, and I'm going to save our church $200 a Sunday. And we can use that money to get the gospel out in the city of Phoenix. And maybe even the world. If we serve, if we stepped out and served. So I would encourage you to, to check that box and hold the baby. Next slide. Hope Women's Center. So it's not just about our church. It's not just internally. It's externally. These are what you guys donated over the course of three weeks to Hope Women's Center. Hope Women's is a partnership we have in the city that serves women who are in domestic abuse, who are in crisis pregnancies, who are in poverty. And we gave... Uh, as a church, we gave a huge donation to them for their supplies to these women. And there's opportunities to serve and step out and do that as a church. We have community groups who go there on a Saturday, I think just once a year, and help them do whatever they need. And we, and we serve and make an impact in that way. The next slide. Uh, Verde Park. This is right behind our school. There's a huge opportunity to serve. Every Tuesday from 4 to 6.30, there's mentoring that takes place in this park. And these are kids who oftentimes live in, in homes that have about a, 10 to 11 people in them, that have people living there that aren't their family, that are in the midst of poverty, that are going to school, nobody's keeping up with their homework, right? and we get to come alongside them and mentor them, talk to them about Jesus, help them set up basic things in their life, care for them right behind us in our backyard, and there's opportunities to serve in that way. The next slide. I think that's it, actually. There's a video that we have to show you. That's right. Uh, because maybe some of you are thinking, well, there's other ways to serve, Tim. Like, why does it have to be us together as a church? It's just practical that collectively we can do more than we can individually. That if we come together, however many of us are in this room and however many of us aren't with us today, that if we all came together, like, what kind of impact could we make as we serve? And so uh, every Sunday morning, there's a microcosm of, of that happening. As we all come together and do all these things and set up all these things, it helps us proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ every Sunday. We have a video to show you what that looks like. Give it up for our setup team. We need to thank these guys. Production in the back. You just thank these guys. In fact, if you serve in any area of our church, would you just stand for a moment with me? Would you do that? I know that's going to make you feel awkward. That's not why you do it. Would you just stand? If you serve in any capacity in our church, would you just stand? Would you guys clap for them? You guys can have a seat. And those of you who are seated, we're not trying to make you feel guilty, right? This is not the guilt trip. But we just want to thank our volunteers, because just as you saw in that video, that it takes all of us to come together to get the gospel out in the city of Phoenix, that God has changed lives through what you just saw in that video, that people are getting baptized next week. We have two people who are celebrating new life in Jesus, and you know why they're celebrating that? It's because God has placed you here, he's placed me here to serve in little ways and big ways, for it to all come together collectively so that people can hear about Jesus. So overall, we're going to see 10 people in the early stages of our church get baptized. In the last two years, we'll have 10 people celebrate new life in Jesus. Because you plug in a cable, because you bring somebody to church, because you greet somebody at the door, because you hold a baby, people are learning to love Jesus Live like Jesus and lead others to him.
This is the last thing I'll say, and then we'll close. But I think uh, for a lot of us, th- this might be helpful, is that we are stewards, not owners. If you think about it, we are stewards, we're not owners. And so your time, your talent, your treasure that we hold so close, we're just possessing that for a time. That eventually we will die. And that those resources will go away. And so God has given us the amazing opportunity to steward and to serve while we're here. It's like my kids with fruit snacks. One of the best parts of being a parent is fruit snacks. That when I buy my kids fruit snacks and I give them a package of fruit snacks, they start to eat them. And if you've ever seen kids with fruit snacks, it's like crack. I mean, they're just shoving them in their mouth, right? You're like, how are you even breathing? Like... How do you get so many fruit snacks in your mouth? And they're like packages at a time, right? And so as they're doing this, like, what what do I do? I say, kids, can I have a fruit snack? You know you do that. Hey, can I have a fruit snack? And what do they do? No, it's what? It's mine. And listen, when we hold our possessions tightly, hold our time and our talent and our treasure so tightly, and we think, I don't know if I can serve, I don't know if I can give any of this up, that we are doing exactly the same thing. That we're saying, no, God, it's, it's mine. I mean, don't you see, I've worked for this. It's mine, like my money, my talent, my time, that it's mine. And we don't realize that God gave it all to us. Just like my kids don't realize that I'm the one who went to the store. <laughs> I'm the one who used the money. I drove it home. You can't drive. And I gifted these fruit snacks to you. And so when I asked for some of them back, they're not yours, they're mine. Just like in the economy of God, the way God has set this thing up, he has given to us. He has paid for everything that we have through the cross. Do you see that? He has wrought every talent you have, every time that you enjoy. God wrought that for you at the cross. He purchased it for you. He owns it all. He's given first, and so we give back to him in our service to him. That it starts in our heart, and it moves out to our hands. That if you get that Jesus did this for us, that your heart wants to do that in response back to him. Would you trust? Would you take a step of faith and trust that God has called you for this? That there is joy, that there is blessing in serving God and serving others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the fact that Jesus embodied this. That he gave us an example, a model to follow. Hebrews 4 that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because Jesus, you you lived all of this. You can empathize with us. You came to earth. You lived a life. You served. And you gave your life in service on the cross so that we might have life and be able to serve others and show other people who you are. God, help us to take those steps. I thank you for the many in this church who who live this out every week, not only at our church, but in their lives. I thank you for the people that are coming to know you because other people have served and demonstrated the gospel of Jesus Christ to them through service. I thank you for that. I thank you for the immense joy that we get in serving you. And so I I pray that you would give us that picture this morning. If some still aren't convinced, that you would convince them now by the power of your spirit and through your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.